Hey folks, Strange Disembodied Voice here. It's been a while since we talked, and I thought I'd let you know that Sean, the guy whose head that I sometimes enter into, is actually doing a bit of extra podcasting this week. Michael, David, and Jeffrey over at the Green Lantern Flight Podcast have graciously let him come on and talk about Green Lantern, specifically about Guy Gardner. So if for any reason you actually want to listen to him babble on about Guy Gardner anymore, go ahead and check out Green Lantern's Light. As for me, I'm off to kill President Ford. Wait, what? He's been... for how long? Son of a... You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast that really wants to know if you're ready for some football. Because I'm certainly not. episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show dedicated to bringing you coverage of the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my two favorite wielders of the most powerful weapon in the DC universe. But unfortunately, Kyle's not in this issue, well, obviously, because we haven't got him yet. But guys in both issues, which you would think would be a wonderful thing, except issue 37 of Green Lantern in a row? is perhaps the worst issue that Green Lantern has had so far in this run. I say so far because I can't really tell you if there is actually a worse comic that comes up after this. Unfortunately, I'm, my memory is not that bright on the Green Lantern comics, and I know there were some stinkers in there, but I'm hoping none of them are as a biggest stinker is this. However, the Guy Gardner issue is really great. I can't wait to get to that one. I mean, that's going to be really fun. It actually has a showdown between Hal and Guy. Guy gets more into the entire idea of what he's going to be handling with Goldface. Uh, we get more into the rivalry between Guy and Hal. It's a really good issue, and unfortunately, we have to start the show out with the Green Lantern issue. Which we'll get to after we play some promos for podcasts that don't have to deal with awful comic books dealing with me later. So, listen to these promos and gird your loins for some Green Lantern football playing horribleness. That's right. I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. Yahoo! 
pollo. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hi, this is Professor Allen, and when I'm not listening to an awesome podcast, like this one, I'm co-hosting an awesome podcast, The Book Guy Show. Every week, we cover book news, book reviews, comic books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. Search for The Book Guys Show on iTunes or come visit us at bookguys.ca. And we're back. And what you guys heard there was the first promo for the Book Guys podcast. Uh, a show that Professor Allen, lover of Doctor Doom, is on, along with Paul Alves, uh, the Reverend, and uh, Sir Jimmy. Uh, great show. Definitely check it out. They cover books. They cover comic books. They cover podcasts, technology. Really interesting and fun show. And if you do enjoy reading books, uh, there's a lot of stuff on there to love. Also before that was, of course, the obligatory Two True Freaks podcast that I put in because, well, Chris and Scott have been kind enough to allow me to be on some of their shows, including Walking Dead Wednesday and uh, the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which look for uh, here in maybe a week or so. Uh, they should be coming out with the Halloween episode, which should be kind of fun, I think. <sighs> Let me go check the mailbag, see if there's anything in there. Hold on, wait. Uh, no, there's no mail. Uh, not not that I'm worried about there not being mail. I mean, sometimes people get caught up and they can't write any mail. That's that's fine. I'm I'm, I'm just delaying wanting to get to the review of this. This this really isn't a good issue, and I know they can't all be good, but I just wish it didn't have to be this bad. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just skewed to the liking the stories and artwork by M.D. Bright, and this this just isn't doing for me. I, I hope I can make it through this without openly weeping. So, we'll just go ahead and rip it off like a mandate and get it over with. So, here's Green Lantern number 37. In a row? It was cover dated March 1993, with a release date on January 26th of 1993. Cover price, as usual, was $1.25 US, $1.60 Canada, so another $0.10 cents over in Canada. So you had to pay $0.10 cents more for this comic. Sorry, Canada. But it was still 60p in UK, so at least the UK people didn't get screwed with this. The title was The Final Game. 
definitely wish it was. Uh, and we've got little funny, jokey titles here with uh, Gerard Jones as Friscophile, Mark Badger, the artist, as Clevelandista, Romeo Tangal as Voorheesian. I don't know what that means. Maybe he likes Friday the 13th movies. Albert de Guzman as Edisonite, Anthony Tolan as Fairfielder, and Eddie Eddie Picanza as Babylonian, and Kevin Dooley as Cosmopolitan. I don't know what any of that means, but it's there. As indistinct alien demon somethings try to feed their master from its bonds, Tom... Hi, face. Cal Maku is aghast over Carol Ferris's desire to marry Hal. Hal, ever the misogynist, says it's just her biological clock ticking that he's ready to have a girlfriend that he can boink, but not one to settle down with and have kids. He also deflects Carol's question by saying that he's so stunned by the return of his old friend Barry Allen that he hasn't had time to think about the question. Tom helps Hal fix the engine of his plane and offers to become his business partner. Hal jumps at the offer, and as a reward, and an excuse to shirk dealing with Carol, he takes Tom to the Pro Bowl, where it's superhero day at the stadium. Of course, who happens to show up and have seats right next to Hal, but Guy Gardner. Escorted by some random hottie, Guy settles in as random vignettes about people watching the game intertwine with Hal and Guy's commentary on the game, as well as some demons trying to escape from their imprisonment. A demon possesses a player, they fight with Guy and Hal, Hal realizes that if one of the team wins, the excitement will feed the demon, giving it enough power to free itself from its imprisonment, blah 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 blah. The one team looks like it wins, and the demon does escape, puts the beat down on Hal, and then Guy rings up a football uniform and tackles the weird alien demon thing. Hal then realizes that the demon is gaining its power from people watching the fight on TV. So he interrupts the game with an episode of Leave It to Beaver something knockoff, which depowers the demon, making it retreat back to its dimension. The dimension that just moments ago it so desperately wanted to escape from at the beginning of the book. <sighs> crisis averted, and I use the word crisis in the loosest of terms, Hal and Guy bond, as a part of this reader slowly withers and dies. Okay, my feelings on this comic. F*** this comic. F*** this comic and its slimy f***ing ass. This comic was the biggest piece of dog shit that I've ever read. I cannot believe that they actually got people to pay money for this awful piece of garbage filth. What the hell were they thinking? What the hell is going on with Gerard Jones? And what the hell is going on with Mark f***ing Badger? Oh, this this was awful. I'm going to have to bleep a lot of that stuff. I'm sorry, that was a horrible rant, and I shouldn't rant about this book. I mean, again, I'm certain... There are people out there who enjoy the artwork of Mark Badger, but I'm not one of them, and I don't think I'm in the wrong by saying that this is not a good comic. Especially after all the wonderful comics we've had before this, I guess I shouldn't be so down on it, but 
when you come to expect, you know, the greatness that the Green Lantern comic for this time has been putting out, and you come to your comic book shop and get this, it's hard not to be disappointed. <sighs> but I'm going to try and be a bit more positive as I get through the notes. Um, uh, on the cover, you know, it's, again, Mark Badger, who I guess really hasn't done all that much for DC Comics, and really hasn't done all that much for comics. I think what he's probably best known for is doing the uh, limited series of Martian Manhunter back in the late 80s, early 90s, maybe. And his artwork really doesn't work here. Um, And this also feels like one of those, I guess you call them warehouse issues, or whatever you call them, that really doesn't fall into continuity at all, but they're putting in there just to get it out. Maybe there was a bit of delay on the next storyline, and they just decided to do this issue. But the cover's got Hal Jordan flying at this... It looks like bikini-wearing demon, and because he's flying at him really fast, his hairline is flying back, so it looks like he's got a really bad case of receding hairline. Plus the artwork on his legs uh, as they... It doesn't look like Badger has a good grasp of depth of field because his legs are sort of far smaller than they should be. It's not a good image of Hal. And I guess Guy is on the uh, cover as well, but unless you know what his costume looks like, you've just got the boots and the jacket and maybe the red hair, and you really couldn't tell that that's Guy in the background. So... Not one of the best covers that they've done, either. Then on page one, the inset panel, oh, oh great, Tom Kalmaku's in book still. You know, not that I dislike Tom, i just not the biggest fan of him. And also the way Badger draws him here is you really can't tell initially that that's Tom. I mean, it looks like any sort of generic person of color. When I first looked at it, I thought, it looked like John Stewart. It's not very distinct, and sadly, it's me railing against Mark Badger's art again. And I'm sorry if you're a fan of him, I just am not. It's not working for me. Page 6, panel 2, we've got Hal saying, Hey, ask any superhero you want if he'll go against Sinestro or Entropy, and he'll say, Let me at him. Then ask him about marriage and see if he sounds so brave. You know how um, Superman was pretty brave about asking Lois to marry him, so uh, he's probably the biggest superhero around, and he didn't have, seem to have a problem with marriage, so what's your hang-up? Well, granted, he was really into marriage before he got all dead and stuff, but that's still not the point. Page 3, panel 4, as Hal flies Tom to the... Uh, Pro Bowl, which is the indistinct Super Bowl, I guess, for the DC Universe. Hal says that he'll tell Tom all about how football is played. So, great. Not only do we get to see a comic book about football, but we get to hear Hal monologue about how football is played. Yippee. Oh, and sorry all my UK and Australian and, you know, basically everywhere else but America fans. Yes, it's American football, not actual football, or what we call soccer, so sorry about that. Then on page 4, panel 4, we get the introduction of Guy, 
and man, Badger does a horrible job of drawing Guy. I mean, it looks like he got pelted in the face with a shovel. Hairs all disheveled, and it just looks awful. And even the the supermodel that he's carrying with him, even she doesn't look attractive. I mean, yes, her face is drawn well, but she just, it's not good artwork. And plus, you know, this is going on, if this is supposed to be going on directly with the Guy Gardner series, where's Sally? Where's that character? Why is Guy suddenly flown off with some floozy? I, I don't get it. I don't like it. Page 5. Here's where we get into some of the annoying vignettes that were thrown into this comic. We've got a John Mannon analog yelling about the game, and then we've got some husband and wife team that are watching the game, and it's the uh, sort of role reversal thing, which you would think would be funny, where the wife is all into the football game, but the guy wants to go listen to his Guys and Dolls CD. It's not funny at all. It's really just poor humor on the parts of the Green Lantern writers. And plus, also, we get the explanation on this page that the demons need physical agitation in order to be free. So, they're setting up that plot point. There you have it. Pages 6 through 10, we got so much talk about football. Again, American football and fake football players and certain plays that I could really care less about. If you want to read it, please be my guest. Page 10, panel 7, we get another thing that I don't get about the Green Lantern rings. Is Guy takes the ring and fires at his brain, or at his head, to try and read his mind. Now, I know at this point in time, Guy realizes that he doesn't exactly know how to work it right, and it talks in a language that he can't understand. So, it's probably not the best idea to point at your head and fire it, especially when you don't know what it might do. Essentially, Guy is trying to lobotomize himself, and if I had to sit and watch football with Hal Jordan babbling on about it like this, I would probably want to do the same thing. Skipping ahead a lot to page 17, it, I will say this, uh, for um, Mar- for as much as I rail against Mark Badger's artwork, his character design is really good. The alien, demon, dragon thing they've got here is really creepy looking. It, it looks like it's got the body of a dragon, but where its chest or stomach is, it's this upside-down sort of gaping mouth and eyes. It's really creepy. It's very reminiscent of the uh, John Carpenter's thing. And uh, I'll give Badger... You know, credit here for coming up with an interesting character like this. However, uh, supposedly this character was one of the demons that was keeping Guy in its thrall when Guy was in that alternate dimension. So maybe Badger just ripped it off from that artist, and I'm giving him praise for something he really didn't come up with. Then on page 20, panel 5, we get Hal saving the day by making sure everyone is watching crappy 1950s sitcoms. They don't say uh, that it's Leave it to Beaver, but it's pretty much the same thing. They kind of get the idea that it's one of those, oh, very clean, very white bread sitcoms from the 1950s, which would really dissuade people from wanting to watch the TV, especially if they were there to watch the Pro Bowl, whatever that is. 
Then on page 21, panel 3, the one thing that it took to get this demon that was so desperate to get out of its dimension and wreak havoc on the world was a simple ring-powered construct tackle from Guy Gardner. One tackle and some crappy 50s sitcoms and, oh, I want to head back to my dimension and wait. This is the lamest and most ineffectual threat I think the Green Lanterns have ever faced. Period. And they face the shark and sonar. And then finally on page 22 is both Guy and Hal were rooting for the separate teams that were playing in this Pro Bowl and they were hoping that their team would come out on top. The game ended in a tie. So essentially no one won. Which is kind of analogous to what happened with anyone who picked up this book. <sighs> well... Done with that, let's go ahead and play some shiny happy promos for some shiny happy podcasts that I think are enjoyable. Definitely more enjoyable than reviewing this comic. So we'll play these promos and then come back to something that's actually going to be kind of fun Guy Gardner number six. Stay tuned. The dawn of an age, the founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ravatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak, blind or hope. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. And it shall sustain him till it has been drained of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.libsyn. Dot com. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey. And I am Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Oh. 
Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air, eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. Uh, and we're back. Uh, I went and drank some... something, I don't know, it was in a... It was something out of the liquor closet, <clears throat> but hopefully that will hopefully, hopefully wipe my mind of the awesomeness that was Green Lantern number 37. In a row? Okay, that, that joke's played out. But we can be certain that the Guy Garden issue is going to be a lot better than Green Lantern number 37. I didn't put it in there. So, let's go ahead and start. Guy Gardner number 6 is cover dated March 1993, with a release date of February 2nd, 1993. Groundhog Day. Uh, thank God it's not happening on Groundhog Day. I would hate to have to relive this day over and over and over again. Cover price this time around was $1.25 US, $1.60 Canada, and 60 pence UK. This time, the 10 cents actually worked well for the Canadians, so... Title was Two for the Seesaw. Plotter was Gerard Jones, scripter was Will Jacobs, penciler Joe Staten, inker Terry Beatty, colorist Anthony Tolan, letterer Albert Guzman, assistant editor Eddie Braganza, and editor Kevin Dooley. Thoroughly pissed, probably because he had to appear in that awful issue of Green Lantern, Guy Gardner is about to give Green Lantern Hal Jordan an all-you-can-eat buffet of whoop-ass in front of the onlooking Tom Kalmaku and hot sidekick Sally. The obligatory Fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, occurs until Hal tries to convince Guy that their common enemy is actually Goldface. Guy agrees, but gets in one last punch for good measure. Hal says that they should work together to take down the gold-armored baddie, but Guy thinks that he could easily nab him without Hal's help. 
but their little dick-waving match is broken up by the screams of Tom and Sally, who are about to get gunned down by Sammy's goons. Both heroes grab their cohorts in a ring construct bubble to save them, but Guy's yellow beam crosses path with Hal's and cancels it out, causing Pieface to plummet to the pavement. Hal races up to catch the falling Kalmaku, blaming Guy for intentionally trying to make him fall. Guy says he doesn't need any help from the likes of Hal, as he's got his own info, which Sally unfortunately burts out to Hal. Frustrated, Guy chides his loyal arm candy, saying that Green Lantern is the competition. Hal says that the info is obviously a trap, and that he's going to follow his own leads. And with that, Hal and Tom fly off. Tom, however, seems to think Hal is acting strangely, but Hal says that he can't let the honor of the Green Lantern Corps be tarnished by a dropout. Satisfied with the explanation, the duo heads out to find Goldface. Back on the street, Guy says good riddance to the GL as he prepares to head to McTeague's corner to find his quarry. Sally wonders that if what GL said about it being a trap was true, if they should be going in there. Guy says the best way is to walk into the trap and see what jumps out at you. Saying that he's ready to show goody-goody Hal Jordan up, Guy and Sally take to the skies while a furious Sammy Gullet watches from his penthouse window. Finally getting a hold of Goldface, Sammy tells him that Guy is coming and to rally all the resources he has to stop him. Goldface rebukes the lounge lizard and orders Repo, Jocasta, and Piston to head to McTeague. On the other end of the phone, one of Sammy's goons asks why he didn't mention Green Lantern being there as well, to which Sammy replies that Goldface didn't ask. But now that he's certain that Guy will pay for what he did to his dignity, his humiliation, and mostly, his hair. Meanwhile, in McTeague's corner, Sally and Guy are walking through the abandoned frontier town, when suddenly a shot rings out. Guy flies off in the direction of the shot, but finds only a decomposing corpse holding a rifle. Sally's scream brings him back down to the street, where they meet old Gringo Withers, who tells them about the phantom haunting the town. In true Scooby-Doo fashion, a trapdoor in the middle of the street opens up, causing Guy and Sally to drop toward the spikes at the bottom of the pit. Guy lassos Sally and hauls her back up to ground level, where old Gringo Withers leads the duo to the local jail. Thinking that something's fishy, Guy hesitates, following the old-timer into the supposed safety, and rightfully so, as he's clocked by an armored fist to the face. Cut to San Francisco, where Tom and Hal are landing in an area of Chinatown. Telling Tom to don his disguise as an international trader, Hal relates how he's certain that they will find Goldface around here. Self-assured, Hal says it's his experience, willingness to use his brain, and hard-won inside knowledge that will make sure that he succeeds and Guy fails. Wondering why Hal is so bent on beating Guy, Tom asks why he didn't let Guy know that Goldface had powerful alien allies. Smugly smiling, Hal says what Guy doesn't know won't hurt him. Sadly, the opposite is just happening as our proud protagonist is being pummeled by powerful punches from the pusillanimous Piston. Charging up his ring, Guy lets loose with a series of punches, knocking Piston through the ground. Cheering his victory, old Gringo Withers warmly shakes Guy's hand and walks away slowly, laughing to himself. Wondering what's so funny, the Gringo removes his mask to reveal... Repo! Jinkies. And since Repo's only skill is taking things... 
Guess who's got guy's ring? Not to be outdone, Jocasta unsheaths her boob knife and holds Sally hostage as the trio of villains tells our heroes that they're going to die. And worse than that, Guy thinks, is that Hal Jordan is going to steal all of Guy's glory. Okay, you won't hear me say this much, but thank God this issue was so good. Because after that Green Lantern issue, I was I was about ready to down, drown myself in cheap whiskey or something just to erase the memory of it. I mean, it was horrible. And even though we don't get the showdown that was promised on the cover, we do get an expansion of the rivalry between Hal and Guy at this time. Plus, we get hints that Hal's motivations in finding Goldface might not be as noble as he makes them out to be. But let's go ahead and take a look at the issue cover to cover, starting, of course, with the cover, which is an awesome cover of Guy punching the f*** out of Hal Jordan. And if that doesn't make you want to buy this comic, I don't know what would. Then on page 4, panel 5, we get Guy, after talking with Hal and them coming to the conclusion that they should take on Goldface together, Guy gives Hal just one more punch for good measure. It's just... It's satisfying and fun, and I really enjoy the friendly rivalry between them, because it's never portrayed as them actually hating each other. Well, maybe Hal hating Guy for being so over the top and using his fist rather than his brains, but I don't think Guy actually hates Hal. He sees Hal as more of a rival and more of a competitor, and I think it also relates to his feelings of inadequacy and being the underdog that kind of makes him have this sort of not dislike, but disdain for Hal. Then on page 5, panel 2, oh crap, they're referencing Green Lantern 37. Jeez, I guess it, I guess it did happen, and it all just wasn't a bad dream. Oh. Plus, it's kind of neat, this, this is happening right in the middle of the Vegas Strip, and there's onlookers uh, commenting about how these heroes are acting, and it does kind of make it, make it apparent that both of the onlookers, well, all three of the onlookers, are pretty turned off with the way these superheroes are acting. I mean, both Hal and Guy really are acting kind of like a bunch of jerks. Doesn't really bode well for the superhero community as a whole. On page 7, panel 5, there's a nice piece of artwork from Joe Staten. Um, after Guy scolded Sally for telling Hal the information about where he thought Goldface might be, You've got a picture of Sally in the background, kind of silhouetted, and the way her, the way the silhouette falls on her face, you can tell that she's got furrowed eyebrows, and that she's really looking at Guy with kind of a look of disdain or anger. And it's nicely paralleled in the uh, next panel, panel six, where you get the shot from uh, Hal's point of view, and you've got Tom Kalmaku in the background with kind of the same sort of look of disdain, that he's not really certain that either of these heroes' motivation is actually genuine in wanting to try and take down a villain, and might be a bit more self-serving. Then on page 8, we get a pretty much, we get pretty much a continuation of idea, that idea. Ugh, it's getting to me. A continuation of that idea, where Hal basically makes up the idea that his motivation for catching Goldface 
isn't as important as his desire to show Guy up. He even makes an excuse about uh, the honor of the Green Lantern Corps being the reason that he's trying to do this. But I think we as the readers can kind of see that Hal's really got something against Guy. Page 10, panel 2. You know, one thing I like about 90s comics, the retro cell phones here. And it's amazing the technology, you know, that Goldface is using. He's got one of those huge brick cell phones. I mean, one of the ones that probably weighs, oh, pretty close to 8 pounds, is about the size of a loaf of bread, and has a giant antenna sticking out of it. It's just funny to see those, especially now in the modern age where we have cell phones that, you know, fit in the palm of your hand and can also access the internet and buy you pizzas and talk back to you if you spend money on Apple products. So it's just it's just a nice piece of nostalgia there. Then on the same page, panel 5, one of uh, Sammy Gullett's goons refers to Green Lantern as Hal Jordan. Now, I'm wondering if this might be an editing mistake or if they actually knew that Hal Jordan was Green Lantern since they worked for Goldface. Or does Goldface technically know that Hal Jordan is Green Lantern? I mean, I don't think it's ever been explicitly said in the book, but maybe it's gotten out, maybe Goldface does know, and he has told his minions or goons. So I'm going to put money on, however, since Hal's trying to be so secretive with his secret identity, that it's a mistake in editing. Page 11, panel 3, as Guy and Sally are walking into the Scooby-Doo-esque abandoned mining town, Guy says, Our only lead goes down the turlet, and if it does, I'm flying back to Vegas and carve something else into Sammy's skull. And I just love the use of dialect in this book to define the character. In not very many books will you get you know, certain regional dialects like the use of the word turlet uh, to define, which is actually the word toilet if you want to say it. But I love it when they put in just little little regionalisms, little uh, accents, or not really accents, but words that are used in certain areas that probably wouldn't be used in other areas. The simplest example is the long sandwiches that they sell at Subway, are either called footlongs in one place, or submarine sandwiches, or hoagies, or grinders, and it's all depending upon where you grew up to determine what that uh, word is. I'm a big fan of regional dialects, and I'm glad that they're using this to help define the character a bit more in this comic. Then on pages 13 through 15, like I said in the uh, synopsis, there is a very big Scooby-Doo vibe going here, with the introduction of the strange person warning Guy and Sally about the, you know, sort of ghostly form or this ghostly being that's been haunting this town, plus the trap door opening up and the spikes at the bottom of it and Guy and Sally nearly falling to their death. It also plays on the whole idea that this isn't really set in reality. It's having fun with the comic and having fun with the character, and I'm really enjoying the heck out of it. I, I keep harping on how fun this book is, and in parallel, especially to this recent Green Lantern issue, fun is definitely what we need. 
page 14, panel 3. However, there is a little nitpick I have here. There's a coloring error with uh, Sally's hair. Now, as I've described before, Sally's a black woman, and she's got a sort of a Grace Jones, not really mohawk, but the sides of her head are shaved, and her top is very short. But in this panel, it looks like the sides of her head aren't completely shaved, and they've got a sort of Dennis Rodman orange uh, dye job to them. And it just it doesn't look good. I think it may just be a coloring error, but uh, since we're doing a sort of nitpicky synopsis, or I'm doing a nitpicky synopsis of this, I just had to point it out. Then we've got page 16, panel 4, Tom Kalmaku, Master of Disguise. And I'm wondering, did Hal bring Tom along on his adventures and make him basically dress up and spy on people? I mean, I know the whole sidekick thing is common in the Silver Age of comics, but really taking your best friend on dangerous missions where you might be killed and just having him go in there without any knowledge of what's going on really sounds kind of irresponsible. But maybe this is just a trope that happened during the Silver Age and they're just bringing it in here to the uh, modern age. Who knows? Page 17, panel 4, we get a thought balloon from Tom saying, He's so bent on beating Guy. I wonder what the real reason is. So, even Tom is questioning Hal's specific motivations in doing this. Obviously, Hal has more in his mind than just catching Goldface, so we'll see how this plays out in further issues. Page 20, we get a bit more character development, as Guy is fighting Piston, who's really not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Guy monologues about, You talk like a moron, pal, but that don't fool me. Some say I'm stupid just because of the way I talk. And I bet your boss is one of them. Well, I got a news flash for Mr. Big Bad Goldface. He could just go to hell. And I think this also plays into the idea that people's perception of Guy is this sort of brain-dead thug. That he really can't solve things on his own. And if he's not with the super team of the Justice League or with the Green Lantern Corps watching over him, He's a menace, and throughout these issues and throughout the Guy Gardner Reborn series and previously in the Guy and his North storyline, they tried to bring forth the idea that Guy isn't just Mr. Punchy Punchy Run Run. He can think, he just doesn't want to. He's more apt to solve problems with using his fist, and it's not that that's a bad thing, but it's just what's worked for him for the majority of the time that he's been a hero. Then, page 22, we get the shot of the villains and Guy in trouble, and there is Repo, Jocasta, and Piston again. Wow, did you ever think that they'd ever be seen from again? Yeah, neither did I. But that does it for notes for the issue. Uh, uh, Like I said, this was a really good one. It's got a great cliffhanger ending with uh, the villains now having Guy's ring, and we're going to see how he deals with this, whether he'll punch his way out of it or whether he'll use his brains. You might be surprised. But what you won't be surprised about is that I'm going to take a look at the ads for these issues. Boy, am I horrible at segues. Anyway, on the front inside cover, we get a picture of a steak, an uncooked steak that says, Rare. 
And then underneath that, we get a picture of two bags of playoff trading cards saying very rare. And that's for the 1993 playoff football cards. Uh, again, football and baseball cards back in the books. It's been a while since I've had to complain about them, but here they are. I guess, you know, since the death of Superman cards are probably not fully out yet, these may have to permeate the books for a while. Then again, we get the x-ray of the human skull with nothing inside of it saying brain transplant thirty nine ninety nine for the Final Fantasy Mystic Quest game for the Super Nintendo. And then again, we get another Super Nintendo game, Chuck Rocks, for your Super NES. Thank we covered it last time. Not certain what it's about, and again, not really caring. Next page, we get an ad for the legacy of Superman, saying the Man of Steel is dead, but the surviving heroes of Metropolis must face their future. And I think, uh, well, I don't think, I know Jeffrey and Michael over at From Crisis to Crisis covered this, and they had varying things to say about it. Some of the stuff they were surprised that it was really good, and some of the stuff that they were just kind of meh about it. But it's a nice it's a nice piece of artwork with Superman in the background with looks like Wave Rider. Oh, who is it? The I want to say Sinbad. Is that the uh, Indian kid? I think that's who it is. Uh, Guardian, Thorn, and Gangbuster, you know, all striking poses on there. So it's got uh, all the creators, uh, or all the creators at the current time, uh, they're Yankee, Jurgens, Kessel, McLaughlin, or Macklin, sorry, Mester Lobes, Ordway, Parks, Rodier, Rubenstein, Scott, Walt Simonson, Stern, and Swan. So uh, your mileage may vary. I think Jeffrey and Michael recommend it, but it wasn't the greatest book they said came out in the post-Death uh, of Superman era. Then on the same page, they get a uh, cartoon illustration, cinematic animation, the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art Incorporated. So maybe Andrew Leyland can take a look at this book and see if they can clip out the uh, coupon from it and send it away to see what kind of price it would be to send Michael to the Kubert School. Uh, I think Michael would be a good artist. The next page, we get a DC House ad. Uh, a new hope, a new spirit, a new inspiration, and a new team. New heroes for a new Earth, and everything seemed to be very new, as this is an advertisement for Legionnaires, which I guess is the current version, or then-current version, of the Legion of Superheroes that, if I'm remembering correctly, reformed after the destruction of Earth in the year, what, like 3005 or something, and uh, unfortunately, I know jack all about the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, but if you get a chance, and if they're doing a podcast, they haven't done one in a while, check out the Super Future Friends podcast. Now, I know Kristen and Adriana haven't done a podcast for a while, but check out some of their back issues, because they are hilarious, and they're also dealing with the very wonky, very Silver Age adventures of the Legion of Superheroes. Then a few pages in, we get an advertisement for the Milestone comic line with, uh, I guess, the beginning of it starting in February 27th of 1993. It says, if you're not there, you just won't get it. And the uh, first issues were for Hardware number 1 and Blood Syndicate number 1. And The Milestone comic line was an interesting one. It was basically developed to 
sort of cater to more black or African-American audience. Uh, the neat thing about it, it had some really great talent on it with uh, Dwayne McDuffie, who uh, basically directed the... I think he directed the most recent Superman, the all-star Superman movie. Unfortunately, before he passed away a while back, uh, he also worked a lot on the uh, Justice League uh, Unlimited show. Uh, and also Jimmy Pomiati, blah, let me try that again, Jimmy Pomiati also did some artwork, I think, or scripting in these books as well. Uh, I haven't read the line, but uh, unfortunately, you know, Hardware and Blood Syndicate really weren't the ones that got noticed out of the uh, Milestone line. Static was more of the uh, breakout person, and in fact, I think he's still being published now in the uh, current DC universe. Next page is the hodgepodge page. Uh, typical stuff for Learn to Draw and uh, comic subscriptions. And then the bottom, we got a quarter panel for the Batman Adventures comic. Fun stuff. Interestingly enough, we get a DC Universe panel, which I guess would be sort of like the DC Direct panel that we get in current comics. I'm not really certain. They're talking about uh, what's going on in Legion, and they've got an Alfred E. Newman picture of Alfred E. Newman as Batman. Interesting. Next page is a subscription page to DC Comics with all the titles that they have, running for $15 for a year or $21 for the year, and all the heroes are there, the major ones, except for Superman, who unfortunately is dead, and not to tease, he might not be coming back. The Guy Talk Letters column has a lot of letters praising Guy for his first issue, and a couple of people just really railing against Guy, saying that he really wishes he was dead. Plus, there's one person in the uh, letters who also asked for a return of Lobo, which you might be surprised could possibly happen in the next issue or so. Then on the back inside cover, we get our new Batman game is anything but tame, and it's for the NES version of Batman Returns. And uh, the one thing that probably sells this game at least for me, is the top panel where you get a depiction of the incredibly attractive Michelle Pfeiffer in the Catwoman very tight, vinyl-y, shiny cat suit, and Batman laying down over you know the side of a building as she towers over him. It's it's nice. Very nice. Same can't be said of the game though, but Michelle Pfeiffer's nice. And then finally, on the outside back cover, we get Deadly Weapons Double Dragon 3, the arcade game for the Sega Genesis. And it was probably a good port of the uh, Double Dragon game from the uh, arcade. I wouldn't doubt it. However, after Double Dragon 2, I don't think the Double Dragon games really did very well, either in the arcade or in the home video market. It was just diminishing returns with the same game and maybe a few more weapons. It was just a simple punch em up and it, it worked once, maybe twice, but other games like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat were starting to come out at this point in time and the Double Dragon game was just showing its age. But that's it for notes, that's it for ads, and that's it for me, this issue. Again, as usual, neither of these issues have been reprinted which is disappointing, especially for the Guy Gardner one, because I think this first story arc would definitely 
deserve, or could definitely deserve, a collected trade. These first six issues, and probably this first story arc, once it finishes with the Goldface thing, would make a really interesting read. But unfortunately, I don't think DC is too hot on publishing stuff from this era. The uh, Green Lantern number 37, it can die in a fire. But again, that's it for this week. Hopefully, well, I'm certain next week will be much better as we will return with Green Lantern as he goes into space to deal with Adam Strange, the hero of Ron, Ran, whichever one you want to pronounce it, and Guy Gardner finally has his final showdown with Goldface. So, come back in seven days, we'll have a new episode then, and I hope you guys have a good weekend. See you later! You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Engel. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, and be sure to leave a review. I'd love to read it on the next show. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there, because I don't have an account on Facebook. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening soundtrack for today's show was Hank Williams Jr. and the Monday Night Football theme. Now, regularly, I'd tell you to go to twotruefreaks.lips.com, click the Amazon banner, and go to the site and download the song there. But the Hank Williams Jr. song of All My Rowdy Friends Are Coming Over Tonight, Monday Night Football theme edition, is not for sale on Amazon. So instead, why don't you head over to twotruefreaks.lips.com, click the Amazon banner, and go browse Amazon for some wonderful items that might be a good idea for Christmas gifts for people. If some of you do have Christmas lists, definitely go put those lists on Amazon.com, get your wish lists ready, and when you're ready to buy them, make sure you use the link at Two True Freaks. You're helping a great podcast website keep on the air, making sure Star Trek, Star Wars, and comics are represented on the internet. Bye. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell.